In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Why questions are perhaps among the most troubling. There are, of course, the kinds of why questions that are very existential, that hit us hard. Why me? Why do these things happen? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why would God do that? Those kinds of questions are hard enough, but there is another kind of troubling why question, and really, uh, it's almost kind of silly in how troubling it is, and it's the kind of why question that a child asks. Go make your bed. Why? Because if you're not tidy, then you're going to live like a slob. Why? Because that's how it goes. Just go make your bed. Why? Because I said so. Why? It can go on and on and on, and kids know it. They know they can drive you to insanity by asking those why questions. But really, the fact is, the fact is that it's a fair question. Why? Why should I do the things that I'm given to do? Why should I do what mom and dad tell me to do? Why should I do anything? It's a fair question. And kids are really honest, which is a helpful virtue. Kids are more honest than grown-ups often are. We tend to take things for granted. Sometimes we do things just out of pure habit, and we never even bother to ask why. Just take it for granted that that's what we do. That's how things are. Kids ask why, and it's good. And it was expected. At the time of the Passover, in the time of the Exodus, as the people of Israel were leaving Egypt, it was expected that kids would ask why. God was prepared for that. So he gave the people of Israel this annual celebration, the Passover. It was to remember what had happened on the night of that last plague, that dreadful last plague, where the angel of death came and slaughtered all of the firstborn in Egypt, of man and of beast. But in order to protect God's children, God's people, he gave them this festival, the Passover. They were to start with a lamb, a year old, that they were to set aside on the 10th day of the month. And then on the 14th day of the month at twilight, they were all to slaughter that lamb together and they were to take some of the blood and paint it on the doorposts and in the lintel of their homes so that when the angel of death came by, he would pass over their houses. He would spare their children. He would not kill their firstborn sons. And they were also to be ready in this way. They were to have cleansed their houses of leaven. They were to get rid of all of the yeast because that night they were going to eat bread that didn't take any time, flat bread, bread that didn't have to rise, bread that they could make quickly and eat quickly, and they were to eat it, that whole meal, quickly, prepared to leave with their belts fastened, their staves in their hands, and their sandals on their feet. They were to leave in haste because when God said, it's time to go, it's time to go. And God gave them instructions. He says, I want you every year after this to celebrate this festival, this Passover. You're not going to paint the blood on the doorposts of your houses any longer. You're going to go to the sanctuary and slaughter that lamb. But I still want you to cleanse your houses of leaven. Get rid of the yeast in your house. Maybe that doesn't seem like much of a thing for us nowadays to get rid of the yeast in our houses. Maybe there's a packet in your cupboard you could throw out. But for the people of Israel who were in the business of making bread daily for themselves, yeast would have been everywhere. It was fundamental to their lives. And so they had to take some effort to get rid of the yeast, to cleanse the yeast out of their homes, to get rid of the leaven. 
And so they would do that. They would spend a day, basically, trying to find all of the leaven and get rid of it, and they would kind of ritualize it, too. So there were two loaves of bread, old loaves of bread that were put on display in the sanctuary. And as the hour was coming, at which point the people of Israel should have no leaven in their houses anymore, one of those two loaves was removed, saying that now is the time to make sure your homes are clean of leaven. And then at long last, the second loaf would be removed. And now, for seven days... A seven-day-long festival, no yeast, eating unleavened bread, so that they would remember what God had done for them, so they would remember God's salvation, how he brought them out of Egypt. And it was expected that the kids would ask eventually, why on this day are we doing this strange thing? And why during this week do we eat such strange bread? God said, when your children ask, what is meant By this service, here's what you should say to them. It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. Why? Why did they do all of that? Why did they remember in that way? Why did they purge the leaven out of their homes? It's so that they could thank God and trust in him, so that they would not forget that he was their savior. In fact, a dreadful time comes on the people of Israel when they stop celebrating the Passover. You'd think it was, would be unimaginable. This heroic, glorious, amazing salvation, the Red Sea parted, brought, through the wilderness on, brought into the wilderness through the Red Sea on dry ground, fed manna from heaven, but after a few hundred years, they stopped remembering. They stopped celebrating. They stopped setting aside this time, and so their kids stopped asking, and they forgot what God had done for them. The why matters. It mattered that they do it. It mattered that they ask why. It mattered that they knew the answer. Now, those kinds of why questions, they are not childish. We would do well to ask more why questions. Peter does it today in his own way in John chapter 13. Jesus is celebrating the Passover with his disciples. And he gets up from the table and he takes off his cloak and he grabs a basin of water and he kneels down in front of Peter and begins to wash Peter's feet. And Peter says, why? Are you going to wash my feet, Lord? Why would you do that? Why would you, my teacher, my master, the son of David, the son of God, why would you wash my feet? It's a fair question, isn't it? It's all backwards. It's all upside down. It doesn't make any sense. The king should not wash the feet of his servant. It should go the other way around. And so Peter objects. No, you you will never wash my feet. And like a kid, he refuses. No, I'm not going to let this happen. But Jesus corrects him. He says, unless I wash your feet, you have no share with me. Unless I wash your feet, you have no share with me. Which is to say, Unless you let me draw close to you, uncomfortably close, close enough to see all of the dirt and the grime that you have been collecting and tracking with you throughout your days, unless you let me draw close enough to smell the stench of the filth that is on you, unless you let me draw close enough to touch and feel what is wrong with you, unless you let me do this for you, you can have no part with me. 
After all, this is what Jesus had come to do. Not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, Jesus knows that this is hard for Peter. He doesn't really chastise Peter for his why question or for his refusal. He says, I know you don't understand this now. There's going to come a time when Peter will understand it all too well. When he sees Jesus face to face after Jesus has been crucified and raised from the dead, after Peter has denied him three times, and Jesus confronts Peter in his lowest moment and says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Unless Jesus can draw near to Peter in that way, uncomfortably close, unless Jesus can draw near to Peter in his filth and his wretchedness, unless Jesus can draw near to Peter when he is lowest of all, Peter has no share in him. But that's exactly what Jesus wants to give him. A share in his life. A share in his kingdom. A share in all that his heavenly father has promised him. You could ask the same question. And in fact, I think the world does. You could ask that same why question for everything we do here in the church. Starting with confessing our sins, which you all just did. Why would you confess your sins? Why would you open your hearts? Why would you look inside of yourselves and be honest about what you see in there? Why would you say, when I look into my heart, I see nothing but sin and evil? Why would you want to own that? Why not cover it up like everyone else does? Why not pretend like everything's okay the way the rest of the world does? Why not just carry on acting as if we are already clean? Why not just go somewhere else? Why bother with confession and absolution? Why bother with a life of repentance and faith, why bother letting Jesus draw so uncomfortably close? It's for the same reason that Jesus drew near to Peter. It is because unless he draws close enough to see the filth and the grime, unless he draws close enough to smell the stench of your sins, unless he draws close enough to touch and feel everything that is wrong with you, you have no share with him. But he wants to give that to you. He wants to take it all away from you. He wants to wash your feet. And better than that, he wants to wash your hearts and make you clean. He wants to make you holy and righteous. He wants to make you new people. He wants to save you from everything that is threatening you, from every sin that would kill you and cast you into hell. He wants to give you life. He wants to share his life with you. And that's the explanation for this festival. That's the why. Because Jesus wants to give us his life. In fact, that's the explanation for every Sunday. Maybe it seems too frequent. Maybe it seems like it gets old. Maybe it seems like it's the same thing over and over again. But why do we do it? Why? For the same reason that Jesus drew near to Peter, for the same reason that the people of Israel were to remember the Exodus, it is so that we can receive from God every good thing because for us there is nothing else besides Jesus' death and resurrection. For us there is nothing else beside his word and promises. For us there is nothing else beside the gift of baptism which washes you and gives you a new heart. Beside his precious body and blood which are poured out for you and given to you for the forgiveness of your sins. It is tempting to wonder, and many people do, in fact, most. It's tempting to wonder, what am I getting out of this? Why am I here? But you know 
the answer. The church is not like a shopping center. It's not like a restaurant where you go and place your order and you get what you want. And if it isn't what you like, then you send it back and you go somewhere else. The church is not like that. Instead, the church is Jesus drawing near to us, uncomfortably close, so that he can make us clean. It is Jesus forgiving all of our sins and teaching us how much we have to receive from him, how merciful he is, how generous and kind he is. There's a great story of Jesus dining in the house of a Pharisee, somebody who was very skeptical of Jesus. He thought that Jesus was a fraud, and so he was just looking for a way to entrap him. And while Jesus was there, a sinful woman came in, and a notorious sinner. Everyone knew she was a sinner. And she started to wash Jesus' feet, not with water in a basin, but with her tears and wiping his feet with her hair. And the host of that dinner said to himself, if Jesus knew what kind of a woman she was, he'd want nothing to do with her. But Jesus knew something better. He knew that this woman's reaction to Jesus, the fact that she wanted to be at dinner with him, the fact that she couldn't get close enough to him, the fact that she was willing to debase herself in his presence and in the presence of all of these other people, she, Jesus knew that it was because she had been forgiven much. He says to the Pharisee, who was doubtful and skeptical, he says, who loves more, the one who has been forgiven little or the one who has been forgiven much? This woman loves so much. She wants to be in my presence so much because she has been forgiven so much. And I will never take that away from her. He says to her, woman, your faith has saved you. She trusted in Jesus. She drew near to him so that he could draw near to her. She was in his presence so that he could do for her what he promised to do. To give her life and salvation. That's what we're here to do. Because we have been forgiven much. Because Jesus has so much more to forgive. Because his mercy is boundless and his love is beyond measure. Because he wants to give us his love so that we can share it with one another. Because he wants to wash our feet so that we can wash one another's feet. We are here remembering. That is the why. Remembering what Jesus has done for us. Don't ever forget it. Don't ever lose sight of how precious this is. That our Savior, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who spoke us all into existence, that he wants to bow down before us, to love us and to clean us and to give us a share in his eternal life. Praise God for his generosity and his kindness. God grant you the grace never to lose sight of his gifts. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.